Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Since it's uh, recently more of a rare opportunity, I, I want to say what a privilege it is uh, to have my wife Lois with me and actually give her an opportunity to come and to greet you and whatever's on our heart this morning. Is that okay? So glad you're here today, babe. Good morning. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> it is a privilege to be here. We do love the Kylies very much, have known them for several years. And I think the last time I was here was 2008. That was a long time ago. So I don't know many of you, but um, we are very privileged and honored to be here. When I was asking the Lord um, what to say this morning, I feel to read just a little excerpt from the book that we have out for sale in the foyer. When the, when the angel came to Mary and gave her a word, she had to hear that word, receive that word, and make it a part of who she was. She had to use her voice to say, yes, yes, so be it unto me. That's what I want. That's, that's what I want to live. And although um, there will never be another time when the Lord physically comes in the form in the flesh, um, we may not carry the physical Son of God within us, but in much the same way, I carry His Word and His Spirit within me. God has spoken into my womb promises. I carry and nurture a call of God. I am pregnant with the power of God, and it is a con- incumbent upon me to affirm what God speaks to me. When the Spirit of the Lord moves upon me, I will always let my voice out. It may be words of thanksgiving and praise, It may be shouts of triumph. It may even be a heavenly language. But no matter the setting, the main thing is to let your voice have an outlet. And I just want to encourage you today that when the man of God comes and you hear the word and you you know that it's for you, you know that the Lord is speaking to you, let that become your identity. Reach out and say, yes, that's for me. And take that into your spirit and let it be something that becomes a a living thing within inside of you. I believe God wants to bless everyone, heal you, bless you, keep you, challenge you, direct you today in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Also, so good to have Judah, my son, with me. And uh, he's 15 and single. So if any of you young ladies want to wait 20 years till I'm ready to marry him off, then <laughs> I want to say how much I love brother and sister Kylie. Uh, you are tremendously blessed and gifted of God to have this great leadership and also the wonderful team that God has put together. Awesome. I want to say to this church, thank you. I don't take for granted your sacrifice don't take for granted the focus of revival that you have given the efforts that you have made and I want to say thank you very grateful appreciate it very much I'm reading from the gospel of John chapter 2 and if you'd like to stand as you wield your sword in your hands this morning John chapter 2 I'll begin reading at verse 23 but When I get to the end of verse 25, I will continue on into chapter 3. 
and begin reading verse 1 through 3 of chapter 3. So beginning at John 2, 23, reading through John 3, verse 3. Understanding, of course, that the scripture was not divided into chapter and verses until hundreds of years later, until after the canonization of the scripture. So this is a continual thought. It is a continual idea, not a separate thought, separate idea. So John chapter 2, reading at verse 23. Now when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man for he knew what was in man. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Same came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, know that thou art a teacher come from God for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Did you see what's happened here in this scripture? Jesus is in Jerusalem at the feast day, and there's many that are believing in his names because of his miracles. But Jesus does not commit himself to them because he knows mankind. But then in the very next verse, there was a man that he did commit to. And of all people, a Pharisee, whom Jesus had the hardest criticism for that particular group of religious people, the Pharisees. And now he commits unto him the message of the new birth, even before Calvary, before it was given to mankind. So, Obvious to see that even people that commit themselves to God, not everyone does God commit himself to them. Some he did, John 3. Some he did not, John 2. So it behooves us to understand who does God commit himself to. So simply want to preach the commitment of God. The commitment of God. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. There is an absolute horror story in Matthew 7, a couple of verses around 21, 22, and 23. For there's individuals that consider themselves Christians that stand before the righteous judge at the end of time. And the Lord looks at them and declares unto them, you workers of iniquity, depart from me. Heaven will not be your home, but eternal flames of hell will be your destiny. And these people are Christians. And they seem to be shocked that the Lord is saying, depart from me. For they say, weren't we churchgoers? Didn't we go to church? Didn't we even have ministry? We did powerful things in your names. We operated in the supernatural. How can you say depart from us? And Jesus said, I never knew you. You work iniquity. And the emphasis here is very powerful that no matter who you are, we all must have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and not just know him or about him, but he has to know us. That's, that's a give and take. 
But it also lets us know that there are some that are committed to God. They are committed to Christ. And Christ is not committed to them. So, what's the difference? Within this passage, there is, there is attempt, attempt, attempt after attempt for the scripture to let us know that there's a propensity of mankind. Verse 24, Jesus did not commit himself unto mankind, if you will, because he knows all mankind. And he needed not that mankind should testify mankind, for he know what is in mankind. Because there's a propensity in mankind to take the purpose of Christianity and to make it a formula. Christianity, the entire purpose is to bring individuals who have fallen out of grace and mercy back toward Calvary's hill and there to begin and to live a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Relationship. But man's propensity, what we have a tendency to do, what our habit is, is to try to make religion a formula. Let me just do one, two, and three, and God's going to do four, and I'm going to make heaven my home. That's, that's not what church is really about. It's not what Christianity is about. It's not what Pentecostalism is about. It's not what apostolic is about. All of these things should be about bringing us closer in relationship to Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, I would boldly say to you, and I know I'm an evangelist here today, but I would boldly say to you that if your church is not bringing you closer to Jesus, re-examine where you go to church. If your organization is not focusing you closer to Jesus, then maybe you should look again at the organization you covenant with. If your process of church and religion is not bringing you closer to Jesus, you need to re-examine because that is the purpose of church. So here mankind's propensity is to take the purpose of religion, which is to bring us in relationship with God, and turn it into a formula. If I could just kind of relate this to a, to a, to a marriage. And anybody in the place still married today? Doesn't even have to be happily, but you're still married. You know, you, you could decide that you want to be the best husband or, or wife, as the case may be. And, and so you will take out your pen and paper and make a list. And, and there on your smartphone, you'll go to your notes and make a list. And you'll say, well, let's see. To be a good husband, I need to be a provider. I need to be a protector. I need to be. And you can make that full list and follow it to the T and have a terrible marriage or not one at all. Because marriage is relationship, and it's not just about doing what you're supposed to do and your requirements are, but it's a constant give and take and compromise. See, Lois and I have lived together happily for 25 years. We've been married for 30, but 25 happy. No, I'm just kidding. 25 years. And, and after 25 years, I'm getting to know her just a little bit better. 
And I know what temperature she likes the thermostat on, and so I'll put it on that. And, and I know how she, you know, what clothes that she likes for me to wear, what style. And, and she dresses me, by the way, so... I understand, but I think that I've got her all figured out. And so I have the thermostat at a certain temperature. And she comes and she says, I'm so cold. I said, no, you're not. This is the temperature you like. <laughs> but I realized that she, like me, is human and we change and perhaps hormones or chemical balances or life or time, but what used to be perfect for her might not be perfect. And the only way for me to keep that relationship live and keep it blessed is to constantly get to know her as she changes and I change. Now, our relationship with God is very similar. God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. However, as we draw closer to him in relationship and we get to know him better, we see him in greater depths of revelation. We understand him and what he likes in greater dimensions and we should constantly be changing and shifting and making adjustments to please him in our relationship. But man's tendency is just to say, give me the list of what I got to do to be saved. And I'll do one, two, and three and make heaven my home. That's not necessarily true. Even I would say there's people that were people of the name that we see in Matthew here that Jesus said, depart from me. We see this everywhere through human history. Matter of fact, if you look in the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, the, the laws that was given by God to his chosen people Israel should have identified, it should have made them to recognize God when he wraps himself in flesh and walks among mankind. But when Jesus is there, those that have been studying his law for years upon years don't recognize him. Why? It's because they had some become so attuned to Judaism or their religion that they were no longer serving the God of the religion, but serving the religion. It's a habit of mankind. It's a tendency that we have. Even when we get into the New Testament, and these are apostles who are filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. They are tongue talkers. But when you began to read the book of Acts and down through the epistles, you see that the apostle Simon Peter and the apostle Paul had varying ideas of how the church should operate. <laughs> well, it's true. If we was to label, <laughs> labeling's not good. If we was to label the Apostle Simon Peter this morning in this culture, we would probably call him a conservative Pentecostal. Now, he was absolutely Pentecostal. He was a tongue talker, but he was very conservative in standards and views and ideas of how the church should operate in a daily life and how people, what they should do, what they shouldn't do, where they should go, where they shouldn't go. But if we was to try to identify the Apostle Paul today, we'd call him more of a liberal Pentecostal. They're both oneness, they're both Pentecostal, but one's more conservative and one's more liberal. Matter of fact, their ideas varied so much that they had to come together at Jerusalem here in the book of Acts and have the first general conference. 
And there they passed resolutions. Can you believe it? That we have to decide for the sake of unity. If the Gentile church and the Jewish church and the Samaritan church are all going to get along, we've got to find a common denominator so we can fellowship and have organization. Now, let, let me just set you at ease here. I thank God for organization. Because there are things that we could never do by ourselves, but when we organize together, now we can do greater things for the world, for our society. Thank God for how you join together with many different people for the concert Friday night. There were so many people working together, and you blessed so many people, not just those that you will feed and the thousands of pounds of food that will be given out, but you also minister to people in a worship service because of your united efforts. But if we try to do that by ourselves, we'll be very limited. So thank God for organizations that pull churches together and can send foreign missionaries all over our world. Thank God for organizations that evangelists can be a part of and travel from church to church and have a great veteran experience of evangelism because of an organization. I'm not against organization, but there always must be a focus that the individuals involved in the organization must realize that the purpose of this organization is to bring us closer to Jesus. Thank God for the church. But the church should not be served. It should be us serving God through the church. So the propensity of mankind is to try to make it a formula. Let me ask you this. Let's go past the time when the apostles were reigning in the first church. And let's go just a few hundred years forward into man's history, church history. For us, we're going back a few hundred years. And now we get to a place which what is considered the church. Those that call the apostle Simon Peter and the apostle Paul their founding fathers. At the time... History calls them now the Holy Roman Catholic Church. But the church at that time was sending out assassins to martyr individuals who did not confess their belief in Christ. Now, see how far we've gotten. How does the church murder in the name of God? You want to know how a church will get to that place? When you start serving the organization more than the God of the organization. How do churches, that, that founded on churches, things like cults in Waco, Texas, and David Koresh's, for some of you who will know what that's, how do they get so far out when many of them are based off actions of the apostles? Because they start serving the individual church or serving a person, a leader, charismatic leader more than they're serving the God of that individual, that church. So we have constantly got to bring ourselves back into subjection. That's man's propensity. And that's why Jesus did not commit himself to these individuals in the feast because they had political ideas and they wanted to use his influence to bring out political situation. All these things that were going on, he did not commit himself to them because he saw their heart, their agendas, their purposes, and they wanted to use religion 
But in the same contextual reading, we find an individual who was a Pharisee. And believe me, these were ones that had lost their identity of what God was all about. But this individual who was a ruler among the Pharisees, his name was Nicodemus. We find him at midnight lifting open the window of his home and sneaking out. And when no one's looking, he runs to find Jesus. Now, you've got to get the picture here because Nicodemus is a, he's a camp meeting speaker. He's a leader in their organization. He's got degrees behind his name. He's been to the seminary. Everybody knows Nicodemus. He's this great popular guy. He is this awesome, awesome theologian. But he's slipping out of his window at nighttime, and he's kneeling at the feet, this 50-something-year-old man, kneeling at the feet of a 30-year-old carpenter's son. No seminary in Jesus' background. No degrees, and even the church of that day did not recognize him as a church member, much less a church leader, but they thought Jesus to be a heretic. And Nicodemus, this great preacher, this great ruler, is kneeling at the feet of Jesus. He's saying seemingly the same things. You come from God because the miracles which you did. That's what the people in Jerusalem just said. We believe on your name because of the miracles. But what's different about Nicodemus? It's simply this. Nicodemus would walk away from his organization, walk away from his church. He'd walk away from all of his friends. If his peers saw him, he would lose his license. Because when he saw Jesus, that was the very purpose of his religion, of his church of why he was covenant with an organization. And he was willing to set all of that aside, if need be, for the sake of getting closer to Jesus. That must be our heartbeat if we want God to commit to us. Now, let me say this. I vouch for this church. I vouch for this pastor. I vouch for the organization that I am a part of and that this pastor is a part of. I believe in it very much. I want to stay a part and to help and to bring that focus back to Jesus as much as we possibly can. But if you're a part of a church or an organization that is not bringing you to Jesus, please re-examine where you're at. So today I want to profess just plainly and loudly that I thank God that I am Pentecostal, that I have received this gift of the Holy Ghost evidence by speaking in tongues. And I thank God that I'm apostolic. I believe in the gifts of the Spirit, the flow and the presence of God. I thank God I'm apostolic. But hear me, more than I want to be Pentecostal and more than I want to be apostolic, I must first be a Christian. In fact, if being apostolic and Pentecostal doesn't make me more of a Christian than I need to examine, it should and it does make us more of a Christian, more like Christ. So if we want God to be committed to us as individuals,
and committed to us as a church and committed to us as a organization we're covenant with, then we must have that from Nicodemus that we, we're about getting at his feet. We're about worshiping Jesus. We're about, we're about our relationship with him. That is priority. That's number one. And then secondly, I want to speak to you about a ministry. In the book of Samuel, there is a story of David who has been anointed to be the next king of Israel. But he's not yet king, he's just anointed. And Samuel the prophet hears from God. And God declares of King Saul, who was still on the throne in Israel, that God says, I've rejected Saul's kingship. His ministry is over. David is the anointed now. He will be the one to be the next king. But in the meantime, David is having to hide in the caves of Maon because King Saul wants to kill David. Do you get the picture there? King who is on the throne is not anointed of God anymore. He has position but no anointing. But he who's anointed doesn't have position. And he that is unanointed is trying to kill the anointed. Because he wants to keep his position. That, that still happens. It's, it's mankind's propensity. And so David busies himself while he's in the caves of Maon. There, there is a particular individual in that area called Nabal. Nabal. Now, if you know the story of Nabal, immediately you're thinking, oh, Nabal, that evil man. But the scripture gives us some identity of Nabal. First of all, that he was from the house of Caleb. Do you remember Caleb, that powerful individual that even at an aged time in his life, Caleb declared, give me this mountain. What God has promised, I will fight for, I will take. That's the heritage that Nabal has. We also find of Nabal that he was blessed of God. For the scripture tells us that he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats and he had servants and manservants. He's blessed of God. He's also blessed with a beautiful wife with wisdom, Abigail. The scripture says of Nabal that he was a great man. And when you study this Hebrew term great, it gives a picture of one that walks down the streets of the sidewalk and everybody knows him. Oh, there's Nabal. He walks down and makes a big stir because he's a great man. He thinks he has great reputation in town. He, people step aside for him. They, they just kind of respect him. He's, he's rich. He's powerful. He's, the, he's great. But David has busied his time taking care of Nabal's flock. It's not a covenant they made. It's a decision that David has. He's got 600 men with him in the caves hiding from the king. And he's making sure that no thieves steal the sheep from Nabal's flock. There's no enemies that come against Nabal's manservants and maidservants. And David just protects. David protects all of those in that area, specifically Nabal. David waits for a time of blessing in Nabal's life. And now that Nabal is shearing and harvesting, Nabal receives 10 of David's servants and the servants of David simply ask Nabal in this time of blessing because our master David has protected you would you give us a love offering <laughs> and Nabal is so upset and indignant he begins to speak of his lack of respect for David 
for he calls him a rebel. He even speaks disparagingly of David's patriarch father, Jesse. And he says, why would a patriarch like Jesse allow his son to be a rebel running all over the place? He begins to align himself to King Saul and the way King Saul thinks about David instead of the anointing that's upon David and the way God thinks about David. I'm not going to be a poor stewardship of my blessing and give it to some rebel running around. And he so shames the servants that when they go back to David, they're shaking their head and they're ashamed. And they say, David, he doesn't know who you are. He doesn't respect your calling. He has no recognition of your anointing. And David is so upset. How could he have been blessing this man all this time? been fighting for him all this time, been taking care of his possessions all of this time, been good to him, and Nabal just turns up his nose. And so David leaves only 200 men in the camp, and he mounts up the rest of his fighting men, and he's going to go destroy the house of Nabal. One of the servants of Nabal hears the exchange of David's servants and Nabal and runs back to the house where that wise wife Abigail is. And he says, Abigail, you know how your husband Nabal can be. He's curlish. That means he's hard and cruel in the way he deals with people. His name Nabal means dolt, D-O-L-T. I don't know what picture you get. I just get a picture of Homer Simpson, you know, dolt. Some of you don't even know who that is. Brother Simpson, I'll introduce you to him later. It's not that he's not a great man. He's blessed of God. But the way he deals with people is curlish. It's hard. It's cruel. Cuts them off. And the servant said, David has mounted up his fighting men and he's going to come and destroy everything in Nabal's household. There's not going to be anything with breath left alive. He's going to turn every stone, everything will be burned. Everything will be destroyed. And so Abigail in wisdom gets together a love offering. And in my estimation, just my estimation, what she put together might have fed 50 of David's men one meal. It's, It's not a huge offering. It's a love token. And she sends out this offering to intercept David as he's coming with his fighting force. And then she gets on her beast of burden and follows. When David sees this love offering as he's ready for battle, it stops him. What is this token of love, expression of respect and honor? And Abigail comes following on her donkey. When she gets to where David is and there's the love offering, She gets off her beast of burden and falls on her knees before David. And this is what she says. She says, David, my husband has sinned against you. He doesn't recognize your anointing. He doesn't know who you are. Again, get the picture. She's married to a very powerful man, probably in his 50s, a great business owner. He's got great power. He's got great esteem. He's got all these great things. And now she, his husband, is kneeling at the feet of a 30-year-old man who lives in the caves with a bunch of outcasts of society. But she recognizes the calling, the anointing, the hand of God in his life. She says, David... Nabal doesn't recognize who you are, but I do. So would you let the sin of Nabal be upon me? 
so that I can kneel at your feet and beg your forgiveness. Because you don't want to make a decision right now, David, based on the hurt and the bitterness of the actions of someone who doesn't even know who you are doesn't even believe in you, doesn't recognize your calling, your anointing. Don't make a decision right now based on the hurt of that experience because if you do, it's going to hurt your ministry in the future, David. David hears the wisdom of Abigail and forgives Nabal by proxy of Abigail. He takes his love offering, goes back to his cave, and Abigail goes back to her home having spared Nabal and her household. Nabal comes back after this great blessing that he has had of harvest and of shearing his flock, and he decides that he's going to throw a big party. Now, he's speaking out of both sides of his mouth because he talked about being a good steward, that I'm not going to take the blessings that God has given me, just give it to anybody. But now he's throwing a big party to try to make himself look good, to build his own reputation. And the entire town is out there celebrating with him because he's a big man on campus. Abigail waits the entire time of partying and fasting, feasting. And then once the feast is over, she tells Nabal what she did. She said, I took this love offering. I begged David's forgiveness because he was going to destroy everything you have, Nabal. He was going to take everything from you. He was going to take my life, your life, every manservant, every maidservant. When Nabal hears the news, the Bible says his heart turns to stone. And it's only a few short days later that his physical body followed his heart. He went on to his eternity. David waits for the appropriate amount of time, grieving, appropriate amount of time of separation, and then he sends for Abigail. And he says, Abigail, because you recognize the anointing, the calling of God upon my life when others didn't, I want you to come join with me in covenant. And now in the future, when I sit on the throne at Jerusalem, you'll share in that anointing with me. You'll share in that calling with me. You'll share in my blessings because you recognized when others didn't. This is the ministry that we so desperately need in our world today. Ministry of Abigail. And I've not come just to preach about it. But I'm asking God for that anointing that I feel right now. To be strong upon me as I try to minister For just the next few moments as I'm closing, just let me minister in the ministry and the anointing of Abigail. Because let let me just get off the beast of burden, not be evangelist. Let let me just be real. And literally, literally let me kneel before you. I need to beg your forgiveness. Because this great organization that I am a part of, and I love and thank God for the UPCI, but I'm going to be honest with you. There are sometimes we've made decisions as an organization that was more about our reputation than it was about being Christian. I'm ashamed about that I love my organization but I'm ashamed at some of the decisions we have made when we've chosen to be seen properly by others and 
not so much a Christian. But we so need organizations to reach this world. So for the sake of us being able to reach and touch and infect an entire world, would you allow me to ask you for forgiveness? And this organization that might have hurt you as a church, as a minister, as an individual, would you let the sin of that be upon me so that I can beg you, please, forgive this organization. Secondly, secondly, I also need to ask your forgiveness because the scripture lets us know that the only way people are saved is through preaching. That God has chosen even the fullness of preaching to save them. But, but preachers, when you tell somebody you're a preacher, their first thought is usually cynicism. And it's because church leaders, preachers, priests, if you will, church leaders have been the news all the time as pedophiles, immoral individuals, building their own financial kingdom, abusing the power that is given to them in the church. So understand how much we need preachers. And we battle this cynicism. And even, if you just allow me to say this, even as pastor was speaking from a heart of love, let's, let's show God respect and reverence for the giftings he has given us and sacrifice. There were some that just saw cynicism. He wants an offering again. Look, he's pushing this, this, and this. Please, forgive, forgive me because of how preachers have sinned against us and abuse their position for the sake of building their financial kingdom. Please forgive preachers. For, forgive. Forgive me. And while I'm here on my knees, I, I, I'm going to ask you specifically to forgive those that have abused individuals through gifts of the Spirit. We so need spiritual gifts to flow. We need healings and miracles and words of wisdom and words of knowledge. And I realize that in the past there have been individuals, hopefully they were just calloused or hopefully they were just off that day but used to intimidate through gifts of the Spirit or they brought fear because of And somehow they misread or misinformed, they hurt you. Because we need the flow of the Spirit, would you allow the sins of those who have improperly used gifts of the Spirit to be upon me so that I can beg your forgiveness? Please forgive me. And lastly, I feel this so strong. There's great men and great women in this place, not just leaders in the church, but you're great. You're blessed of God. Wisdom connected to you. But sometimes it's easy for us to get caught up in life and not realize the anointing of who is serving us as pastor. Pastor's wife and assistant pastor's Sunday school teachers, evangelists, prophets, you name it. And we can say things and do things that are curlish. 
when we weren't in the Sunday school room and watched what was happening, we don't have a full grasp and we just curlish. And things begin to cause friction and hurt until I see in this place not only precious people who've been hurt in church and hurt by religion, but also see even spiritual leaders that have been hurt by church and family members that have been wounded by people that did not recognize they were dealing with the anointing. Because here's the difference. Here's the difference. As long as we look at that person beside us as just being David. It's just David. You know he's hiding in the caves. If he was a real man of God, why would he be in the caves with 600 outcasts of society? If he was truly anointed, he wouldn't be in this position financially. He wouldn't be in, if he was truly blessed to God, when in reality the anointing of God is so powerful upon him, but he's in a time of trial, a time of temptation, a time of preparation. And if you don't recognize the anointing, you'll just treat him as old David. Oh, I grew up with him. I knew him. He just... Tim, Bob, Jane, Susan. That's just. But if you see them as the anointed of God, then you can't treat them that way. You just see them as a tithe check, well, then you'll do whatever. You just see them as a number, a member of the church. You just see them as somebody that sits across from you. You just see them as somebody that's out in the Sunday school trying to take you. You can treat them whatever way you want. And it'll be curlish. But if you really see them as the anointed of God, then they are called and anointed to teach the four and five-year-olds. And God speaks to them specifically for the salvation of them, your kids. And when we don't understand because of just church stuff, just religious stuff, just organization stuff, why they tried to make decisions, hopefully they made decisions out of love and out of Christianity more than the other. But if they didn't, Please forgive today. Can I tell you how many backsliders that would love to be in our church right here today except they're wounded and they're hurt. And whether it was a true hurt or a perceived hurt, what they need is Abigail to kneel before them and say, you know what? You're right. We've not always been perfect. We're men and women just like you are, and we have made mistakes. But for the sake of your anointing, your calling, your walk with God, your purpose, you've got to forgive me, so let me ask forgiveness. This is what I know. And if musicians would come, just play softly. This is what I know. That what God is promising this last day church of such a tremendous revival that sweeps our world and I believe sweeps our nation. It's not going to be done by some great evangelist that comes in and throws a tent up. It's not going to be done solely by a pastor that gives even his lifetime of breath and energy and focus to a region. But I'll tell you what's going to reach this world. It's It's all of us together. It's the body of Christ. And we all are anointed in our particular area of ministry 
and calling. And the enemy would want us to let somebody or some situation that was curlish to cause us to want to rise up and to destroy. Speak and to say. And if we make a decision today based on the hurt of someone that doesn't know who you are, doesn't recognize your anointing, or maybe just in a callous moment didn't see the power of God upon you, then what you're really doing is destroying your future ministry, your ability to walk with God in wholeness. I, I don't know what to tell you, church. I'm not, I'm not here with a beautiful Sunday morning sermon. I'm, I'm, I want to be real. And the Holy Ghost says, let me see very specifically. There's too much hurt here in abundant life because of unforgiveness. Maybe things we did that were wrong, I admit. I'm not always right. But I'm asking for a spirit of forgiveness. Don't, don't, don't look at me just as a number, a name, a person, an individual, a leader, but please, please look hard into me so that you can see anointing somewhere. And respond to me out of a call and anointing upon my life. Forgive me. Forgive leadership. Forgive this church. Forgive the organization. Let's even ask forgiveness of our neighbors and our backslidden children and our loved ones. Let's ask forgiveness of this community. Let's ask forgiveness of our nation and for our nation. And let's let Christianity be the purpose and the goal of what we do here today. Would you stand with me? By way of information, I, I don't feel to call anybody out from the microphone today and to speak to you what I'm seeing in the Holy Ghost in your life. I think there's such a vulnerability already across this place that, that we all just need to be ministers and we all need to be forgivers and make our way to the feet of G, even if we have to sneak out and if others see us and whatever clicks and whatever you've heard, just sneak to an altar and there get at his feet where we can see Christ who forgave us all and the spirit of Christianity let forgiveness just sweep across this place so that people can receive the Spirit of God and the blessing of God and the healing of God and the anointed of God and the purpose of God. I'm inviting you right now and maybe, maybe you're going to have to make a little effort to sneak out a little bit, but why don't you come down to the front and 
find yourself at the feet of Jesus. Would you not be religious, don't be churchy, don't be Pentecostal or apostolic so much. Would you be Christian, Christian in this house today? Forgive us, God, for not recognizing the church for the anointed entity it is. Forgive me, God, for taking for granted my brother, my sister. Forgive me, God, for being curlish in the way I treat my leaders. Forgive me, God, for not confessing in true Christianity to the backsliders and to this this community. I pray, God, that you help us all be Christians in Jesus name you're feeling that gift of intercession go ahead and let that out would you begin to pray that in the Holy Ghost just boldly speak your tongues if you're feeling that intercession you're going to help us break some chains you're going to help us break some chains lift up your voice as you're speaking in tongues let that gift of intercession operate through you Ministry, I'm asking you to help me. Just find somebody to pray with. Lay your hands on somebody. Let the Holy Ghost begin to minister to you. Let the Spirit of God begin to flow upon you right now. Come on, anointed child of God. Let forgiveness be upon your spirit. Let those forgive you and let you forgive them. Would you do that? Even if you're a guest in this house today, I'm asking you, don't be a guest. Just be a Christian. Just respond to the Spirit and the presence of God. Would you do that? Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.